Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, the San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and I'm here today with Kara Zordell. Last time I talked to Kara, she just left her job as executive director of Project Homeless Connect because of major health problems. She's back to update us on how she's doing physically, her big new job, and what she thinks San Francisco could do to finally tackle its homeless crisis for good. Hint. It has a lot to do with how the city would hopefully respond after a major earthquake or fire. I'll be right back with Kara Zordell. I'm Heather Knight, and I'm back with Kara Zordell. Well, thank you, Kara, so much for joining me today. It's great to see you again. It's good to be here. It's wonderful to be back in San Francisco. I'm so glad you are. Yes, me too, and to (laughs) see you and hear about your kids and your family. It's great. Thanks. Well, last time I talked to you was about two years ago, and you had just left your job as executive director of Project Homeless Connect to move to Spain because you were struggling with an undiagnosed kind of mysterious illness and were hoping to find cheaper health care and have some time to decompress. And now you're back in the city, which is awesome. So I was hoping you could update me on what's happened in the past couple of years. It's been an exciting couple of years. The last time we met... I was at my darkest moment, and like many people who are in our world, was facing this drastic loss of health, Mm -hmm. this loss of being able to work the way I wanted to Mm -hmm. work, the way I wanted my body to work, Mm -hmm. being able to be the wife that Mm -hmm. I wanted to be, the partner I wanted to be. And just the even the friend that I had been when I was healthier. And that devastating loss was so overwhelming that leaving for Spain was just such a breath of air, mm-hmm. thinking that I could find a place to get find some healing. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting when you and I talked, I was so excited. I don't even think when we first talked about it, I was sure I was going to go to Spain. And I didn't tell anybody at that time. But the reason I chose Spain was I had found a neurologist who specialized in a special type of treatment that they're now doing here at Stanford called Neuraviv. And what they do is they, for people who have tremors or different types of uh, brain disorders, Mm -hmm. they have a way of using lasers to stimulate your brain. Mm. And so I was able to go and get treatment. And while I am not healed by any means, there wasn't a miracle, my tremors are gone. Oh, great. So I definitely still have the health issues that I was struggling with as far as my immune system. Mm -hmm. And uh, those aren't going to go away. Mm -hmm. And understanding that my life is just going to be a little bit different and that that's okay and Mm -hmm. learning to adjust and become okay with that has been this very long process. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's interesting when right after I saw you, I got on this plane and went to Spain. And that first night there, I missed my flight from London to get to Spain. And if you remember, I at that time, my health was so poor that walking was challenging. I you had to use a right. wheelchair for long spaces. Uh, I couldn't unclench my hands mm-hmm. or lift food to my face. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, just my hands were so tight. And so I was staying at the Hilton at the Heathrow Hotel or one of those hotels in London. And the fire went, a fire alarm went off. It's maybe 2 a.m. Oh, my gosh. It was so scary. And so I went to the door. But it was one of those hinge doors with those knobs, mm-hmm. you know, that you have to pull down. And my hands couldn't do that. So I could hear everybody leaving this hotel. 
And I couldn't get out of my oh room. Oh, my God. I had scary. been out of San Francisco 12 hours. <laughs> so scary. You were due for a break, and that I, was not it. <laughs> I was due for a break, and that wasn't it. And so as I saw everybody evacuating this hotel, it, it was the first time that I just finally started crying mm. and letting this relief of, like, this has been horrible, and this yeah. has been traumatic, and letting that go. And in that moment, also having this huge moment of realization of what I have right now in myself isn't enough to save me. We live in this world where it's like, what you have is enough. But right then in that moment, mm -hmm. I couldn't get the phone up. I couldn't get, oh I couldn't, nobody could hear me pounding on the wall. I couldn't get out that door. And it was finding that moment where I had no control. I couldn't change anything. Mm -hmm. What do you do? And finding that comfort in that moment was a really pivotal kind of beginning of that journey What for did me. you do? I actually, <laughs> this is great. I looked for alcohol and thought, if I could have a glass <laughs> of wine, the best that's going to work. Exactly. I couldn't get the bottle open. Oh, no. <laughs> and so what I, I saw smoke coming. And so I went and I laid in the bathtub and put some towels around me that were wet. And I laid there and I thought, what feels good right now? And I thought about the cold porcelain, mm -hmm. and I just focused on that until I just started laughing mm -hmm. and laughing. And I felt kind of like on a, a Monty Python, you uh -huh. know, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> I just kept being like, no one's going to get oh me down. I'm not dead yet. And oh, wow. So, so I assume was, they got the fire out. They got the fire out. It was, it was just a kitchen fire. Okay. It was not even a, a big issue. But yeah. it was this big reminder of, you know, before we left, we had talked about how frustrated I was with even myself or just mm -hmm. life of always feeling like to find joy, I needed things to be perfect mm -hmm. or I needed to go eat, pray, love, go mm -hmm. do this mm -hmm. to find my joy. And it was that moment in the hotel where I realized I, there's nothing going to change. This is it. Wow. And I thought if I can figure out how to find joy in that moment, mm -hmm. that's everything. Oh, my gosh. And so even just that one moment, it was this huge transition for me. Wow. So it was exciting. And so do you have a diagnosis now or just a way to kind of make the symptoms better? I, I've had several. Over the last years, I've probably had eight diagnoses. Mm -hmm. Every doctor, depending on what their specialty, seems to have a diagnosis. Basically, I know it's neurological and autoimmune. Mm -hmm. But as far as the specific specificity mm -hmm. of which one, I don't have a diagnosis. Okay. And that is traumatic in yeah, itself. That must be scary, not knowing. Not knowing, but also not knowing how to articulate it. Yeah. For years, I, I didn't address it, even with my husband or my family, because I thought maybe it'll be gone tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I felt shame. Mm -hmm. I felt like I wasn't good enough. Like, how you're lucky to have your great body. I oh. don't know what's wrong <laughs> with mine. You yeah, know, like, you yeah. know, there's this, there's that sense of guilt or, you know, not being enough. Mm -hmm. And so it, it took me a long time to get to a place where I can be like, I don't know what this is. I know it's not going away. So what can I do right now, this moment, to be okay with that? Yeah. And so how did you decide to move back to the Bay Area? That is a longer story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that it continues with just trauma and trauma and trauma. I had the surgery uh, in when I first got there, within my first week. And I thought I was going to start healing, and things immediately changed neurologically. 
but within a few weeks, I got an infection. Mm. And within six weeks, I had MRSA. Oh, my gosh. And so I was there for only a few months before I became too ill and had to come back to mm-hmm. the States. When I came back to America, the first Literally, I got off the plane and found a dog that was experiencing homelessness. And he was just by himself and needed someone to love. And I was by myself and needed someone to love. And and uh, the Jack is the dog's name, became Aww. the love of my life. And he and I moved in with my parents. Uh-huh. And Where are they living? They were living in, in paradise. And, uh, oh, which, right, right. So there's been a lot mm-hmm. of... of um, been a really challenging couple of years mm-hmm. in in that world of, in my my world of even yeah. with them with paradise the fire that has occurred there was uh, their house burned? they their house wasn't but they did lose um, my dad is a pastor and mm-hmm. had lost his job there and mm-hmm. their housing that came through that mm-hmm. so and they're quite el- elderly yeah. so it was catastrophic and just the psyche, I think, of seeing that pain every day. Mm-hmm. It's very similar, I think, in San Francisco mm-hmm. every day as we walk down the streets and the psyche of seeing the loss and the mm-hmm. suffering every day. It's, mm-hmm. it's heavy. It's, it is. It's deep. So where are you living now? I'm back in San Francisco. I am with my husband. We have found a wonderful place up in Upper Market. Mm-hmm. And it's exciting to be in San Francisco because part of my healing really came from San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I love this city, and I I know you do too. Yes. Every day I wake up and I look outside, and I think I'm the luckiest person in the Aww. world to live in the most beautiful city in the world. And so coming back and being back here where I feel like home is so important. But it's also when I was at that place where you saw me last, mm-hmm. it was San Franciscans who said, you have value. Mm. We're going to, whether it was they read the article about my health issue, hundreds of people sent me ideas of things, whether it was apple cider vinegar <laughs> or doing a little bit. Of, they cared. Yeah. Do You know, it never occurred to me that I mattered that Aww. much to 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 value that. Yeah. And it, I felt almost like I had angel investors in San Francisco Aww. kind of being like, we have invested in you. You need to do yes. do better, do well. Aww. And uh, I found that healing and really spent a lot of time working on myself and not just working on my health, mm-hmm. but working on my mental health of mm-hmm. thinking, if this doesn't go away and this is the life you have, how do you be the partner you want to be? Mm-hmm. How do you be the leader you want to be? How do you be the female, the boss, the all of those things mm-hmm. and not let that be an excuse mm-hmm. to yeah. be less. Let that be an excuse to not be all that you can be for yeah. this world and for the people that love you and that mm-hmm. you love. And so you and your husband have reconciled. We have. Great. We have. And that's been a huge understanding, too, of learning how to communicate mm-hmm. things that are really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And also learning that when one person is sick, it's easy to focus on them, but both people lose. Mm-hmm. And it's such a daily loss for both individuals. Mm-hmm. And coming together, it's 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 been really beautiful to see that progression and communication and commitment Mm -hmm. of saying that we're going to do this and it's challenging and it's difficult but we matter enough to do this and every day loving each other enough to get through that great well I'm so glad that you're doing better and that you're so much happier now thank you thank you and you have a big new job I do of course you never sit on your laurels for long so (laughs) (laughs) um, you're the CEO of the community awareness and treatment services can you tell me about that group and and what it does 
I am. I, I am excited. Community Awareness and Treatment Services has been here for 41 years. It's a pillar in San Francisco, especially for people that are experiencing homelessness that have other issues. As we've seen in the latest homeless count, 69% of people experiencing homelessness say they have some type of disability. A large percentage, about 20 to 30 percent, also have other issues like alcoholism or drug addiction issues mm-hmm. that they're struggling with. Uh, we also ha- um, are seeing that just as people experience chronic homelessness, they're becoming more and more ill. So our services are really comprehensive. Mm-hmm. We have a sobering center mm-hmm. that we work with the Department of Public Health to provide services to those who feel need to sober up and get the care they need. We have medical shelter services to where people, they don't have to stay at San Francisco General. We can give them the care they need. We also have housing with a lot of wraparound supportive services. Uh, one of another program that is really needed that it's exciting that we do is a woman's place and there we have women whether they be transgender women which we know women face violence on the street Mm -hmm. at a rate that is alarming and is just disgusting so we need more of this Mm -hmm. more of the great work we're doing i'm excited to be a part of community awareness and treatment services the 41 years and the team that exists there i've i've never seen such passionate group of people that have been working so long on an, an issue with such passion and not given up. Mm-hmm. We have staff that have been there for 10, 20, 30 years. Wow. And they still have that same hope. And it's really inspiring. Yeah. I, I really enjoy it. A few people in San Francisco know as much about homelessness as you do. And I wanted to get your perspective on a couple of things. Um, first off, those horrible new homeless count numbers that show a 30% spike in homelessness in San Francisco in just two years. Were you surprised to see that? We'd held steady for so long, um, and this just was such a huge spike. I think people were pretty devastated who work hard on this issue every day. And what did you think when you saw those figures? It is devastating, and it doesn't represent who we are as San Francisco. And so the fact that we've kept level as we've seen other cities rates soar. I've always felt the sense of pride. That's Mm -hmm. who we are. We are a sanctuary city. We provide sanctuary. And what was alarming looking at those numbers is that we have a lot of room to grow because Mm -hmm. we're a sanctuary city without the sanctuary part. Mm. And that's scary. That's scary. You're not talking about it in the immigration sense. I'm not. I'm talking about sanctuary for us, for all of us, Mm -hmm. not just for immigration uh, issues, but that as well. I mean, we are one of the few cities that you can go to that is a sanctuary city and every, you know, we try to be in every single concept, whether Mm -hmm. it's for LGBT, no matter who you are, Mm -hmm. we want to welcome you as a human being. Mm -hmm. And where we are right now, we don't have the capacity to do that. If we look at those statistics, we see that 27% identify as LGBT. That's showing that homelessness is disproportionately affecting certain populations. Mm -hmm. And that these populations, if we don't begin addressing it, this issue is going to just become larger and larger. Mm-hmm. And if we look what we if we look at the thirty percent, what I think those of us who've been doing this for a long time, what alarms us the most mm-hmm. is that individuals are much more ill. Mm-hmm. There is a higher issue of both mental illness mm-hmm. and just physical illness mm-hmm. than I've ever seen outside. It's and really easy to see that. I mean, you just walk outside this building for two minutes and you'll see proof of that. 
Right. And so on some level, it worries me because I think if we're not able to take care of these individuals who are ill that we mm-hmm. can see, what happens when we have the next earthquake? Mm-hmm. What what happens when we have a fire like Paradise mm-hmm. had? Mm-hmm. And that makes me realize that there actually are some solutions for mm-hmm. issues like this that we really could be using that really could resolve this in six to 10 months. Right. I wanted to ask you about that next because we had talked um, on the phone in preparation for this episode about your the notion that San Francisco is not treating homelessness as an emergency like we would a fire or an earthquake, hopefully. I mean, it's hard to imagine that if thousands of people were suddenly homeless because a huge earthquake struck this city, that we would just be holding meetings and talking <laughs> about whether to form a commission and we know, don't just talking and talking <laughs> and talking. So, exactly. Yeah. Can you um, kind of explain where is City Hall going wrong in the way it looks at this and why is it not treating it as an emergency? I think there's a misnomer that this is a city hall issue on some level. I've never, I've been doing this for 20 years, and whether I've worked with Bloomberg or here, any mayor, any politician I've ever had the pleasure of meeting, they have always wanted to end homelessness. That would be a huge feather in their cap. It's not a lack of this political will to lose homelessness. It's a lack of, I think, a coordinated effort on some level. I think there's also a lack of reality when we speak of the issue. Mm -hmm. Even going back to apply this to my own life Mm -hmm. and the issues that I have gone through over the last couple of years, what we see right now is a housing crisis. And we keep talking about it that we need to build housing for the people experiencing homelessness. And we use sayings like, we can't shelter our way out of homelessness. Mm -hmm. And those become idioms or or colloquialisms Mm -hmm. that we believe. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is those are all true. Mm -hmm. We can't shelter our way out of home, out of Mm -hmm. housing crisis, but we can shelter our way out of a health crisis. Mm. If you look back at the 1930s and the Great Recession, you'll see that in some cities, 25% of Americans were unemployed. Some cities had even larger percentages of that, of people experiencing homelessness. We hear of Hooverville and these little communities of impoverished people living together that had tuberculosis and all of these health issues. What we know from experience as a country mm-hmm. is that when we don't serve people that are ill, they become sicker, Mm -hmm. and that becomes more costly. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're exactly right. We can't shelter ourselves out of a housing crisis. We have to build more housing. But what we're not saying is we can shelter ourselves out of a health crisis. Mm -hmm. We can't just leave all these people sick on the streets until we have enough It's unhuman. If we looked at Rwanda, we we would say, Rwanda, (laughs) posh. This is San Francisco. This is us. This is not President Trump's world. Mm -hmm. This is freaking San Francisco. We can do this. And what's frustrating is we keep getting stuck on whose fault it is, things that need to be built. If 6,000 people were sick tomorrow with influenza, the bird flu, don't you think the CDC would be bringing in a hospital and Mm -hmm. a tent and things like this? So what we're doing is misidentifying the issue on some Mm -hmm. level. And when we do that, it does a great disservice because we stop talking about solutions and start talking about what we don't have, which Mm -hmm. is housing. Mm -hmm. But we could have our solutions. Mm -hmm. Every single day in this world, there is a crisis and people are being treated in emergency crisis mm-hmm. type of, of programs. So what is your vision? You've talked about a 24-7 homeless service center, which could be sort of like a triage 
center if we actually started looking at this as an emergency that needed an immediate resolution. So walk me from there. What would that look like? Uh, a community service center, similar to what other countries have done during times like the Great Depression or even what we did with mm -hmm. the New Deal, where anybody who's experiencing homelessness could have a place that they came, and it's open 24 hours, seven days a week, mm -hmm. and each floor would be individualized for different needs. If you're LGBTQ, there would be a floor that has services, and it a service provider who knows how to work individually with those needs. Mm -hmm. The first floor, maybe that's our medical services, where people that need intensive medical services are, are given services. Mm -hmm. Each floor would have specialized services and shelter beds for those who are in need. Mm -hmm. Now, the way that would work is by having all of the nonprofits that excel at the great work they're doing come and just have this one site mm -hmm. where they do this great work. People could stay until they're triaged mm -hmm. and assessed. Perhaps some people, we could get them on Homeward Bound, an mm -hmm. awesome program, get them back home. Mm -hmm. Others reunite with the family through Miracle Messages or mm -hmm. other cool programs. Mm -hmm. We could also, you know, look at what shelters are available here in the city at mm -hmm. other places. But what we can't do is what we're doing right now is having people come and taking down tents and telling people to move. But we have no place to take them. Mm -hmm. That's inhuman as well. On the practical side, where could this facility be? I get ideas from readers all the time. I've heard a cruise ship could be you know, decommissioned and used as a massive center. Or some people have said the Cow Palace. Some people have said there's a lot of empty space at Laguna Honda Hospital. If Juvenile Hall closes down, there are some big... There are several, several big possibilities. When I worked in New York City, one of the programs I worked on, we used inclusionary zoning, and I got an 11-story building for $1 from a, a, a firm there. There are ways that we could get a building. Perhaps there's somebody like Google who says, you know, we know that we in 10 years are going to need this much space, but we don't need this building right now. Mm -hmm. We'll let the city use it for 15 years. Mm -hmm. There is somebody in the community that has some space. If mm -hmm. we came together and said, maybe it is Laguna Honda, a hospital would be beautiful for something like this mm -hmm. because it, that is what has been effective when we've had health crises in the, fat, in mm -hmm. the past. Uh, if we work together, if business owners, if we all kind of come together and say, what resources do we have? Mm -hmm. We could find a building fairly easily, I believe, because there's not one of us that doesn't want to end homelessness. Mm -hmm. It's just figuring out how. But if you believe and you owned, let's say you own an 11-story building, and I said... Oh, I have one in my back pocket. Yes, of course <laughs> you do. I do too. <laughs> but if I said you could walk down the street and I promise you in six months from now, it's going to look different, I think people would get on board and say, let's find this building. Mm -hmm. And... We do have buildings that are, are large enough to do this type of work. Mm -hmm. I used to dream of the old uh, uh, building on Venice, the old uh, – what, what was it? It was a thrift store. Oh, I, I don't know. I, Goodwill building. Oh, good and no. they had shelter yeah. housing in there as but well. That's gone now, yeah. It is gone now. I, but there are buildings like that that could work. And then we say, oh, the expense of it. It's just going to get more expensive mm -hmm. if we don't do something now. And, again, if we use – if we all come together – and this is the city that can show, this is the city that can be on a hill that shows that light, that when we do come together, we could fix this. Mm -hmm. And so there are buildings that's not, definitely I understand we don't have enough housing. We're not yeah. going to have that right now. But there are buildings where we could do something like mm -hmm. this, where people could stay as long as they need it until either we have a place for them to be mm -hmm. appropriately housed or can put them in a neighborhood shelter that is fitting for them. Or they can stay there mm -hmm. and have services that they need. 
as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Because as a community, I think we have to say, we know that nobody is healthy living outside. Yeah. And we have to stop it. And the only way to do that is by saying we can't wait any longer. We can't wait another 10 years for mm-hmm. more housing. We've got to stop saying that this is, a you know, we've got to stop saying that, oh, housing, housing, housing. Yeah. We have to start saying, what do we have now? What can we do now? Mm-hmm. And I can guarantee you something, a building where all of we did really comprehensive services for these individualized needs, six months, the city would look entirely different. Wow. That's a nice promise. And we've also spoken... Um, before offline about how the city would hopefully react quicker in an earthquake because it would be different if suddenly, you know, like cute middle-income families with little kids Entirely. whose houses had been had fallen down were just left on the sidewalks. For some reason, that would not be okay, right? But That's a really good point. It, it, again, going back to what kills me about homelessness is it's such a historical issue, but nobody reflects on what we've learned historically mm-hmm. from this. And so going back to what we've learned is in the New Deal, there is this idea of the undeserving and the deserving poor. And is the, I don't know if this is a family podcast. If I was to say it, I would say all are deserving. If you think someone is undeserving, you probably haven't heard their story. Mm-hmm. I've had professors who have said, when you start only serving those who are deserving, you're going to walk in a lot of shit when you walk down the mm-hmm. sidewalk. Yeah. I think that that's where we are right now in San mm-hmm. Francisco. Mm-hmm. We're walking Literally. a lot of crap <laughs> down the sidewalk because on some level we've kind of served, we've learned, we've selected who we're going to serve, which mm-hmm. housing they're going to have, and we don't have enough. Mm-hmm. And the only way really to change that is by saying, here's one place where all are welcome. Mm-hmm. I was reading something from another journalist a couple of weeks ago on a rainy night, and he said, I have a guy here in Noe Valley that's homeless. I've called through and one. There's not a shelter bed. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Should he go to jail? And, uh, you know, where does, where's, where's a place for them to stay? And it's frustrating because we do see people on the street. And that's, I think for all of us, it's fatiguing on our yeah. compassion. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to start thinking it's their fault. Mm-hmm. I feel that way. Some, and for some, perhaps it is. Mm-hmm. But when we start looking at it by the undeserving and the yeah. deserving, we don't get anything done. Right. And I think my professor was right. Mm-hmm. We're just going to walk. It's better for, it's worse for the city as a whole. Exactly. If we don't address this. Well, that's a lot of heavy stuff. Now we will move on to the fun <laughs> lightning round. Um, what is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? I would say El Capitan Taqueria. Okay. Although I, I, I love a burrito from anywhere. I really <laughs> like Nick's Tacos right now or uh-huh. Taco-licious. Uh-huh. Tacos might be my thing more than burritos. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Oh, there was just this great one. Uh, Always Be My Maybe. Oh, that's I, a great one. It is. I... I it was just so cute and yeah. just such a great, like, beautiful romantic story. Yeah. And Keanu Reeves, that was amazing. <laughs> I thought that that was maybe his best work ever. He used to bug me, but he's kind of growing on me. I love John Wick. I'm one of those people that as long as he doesn't talk, I'm in. Yeah. But this one, he was allowed to talk, and I thought it was great. <laughs> well, that is the first guest who said, always be my maybe. So Yay! you are a trendsetter. Um, where do you like to go for a stiff drink? My kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy making cocktails. That's What's so- your specialty? 
right now I have been doing Saint Germain and Prosecco, mm. like summer cocktail fizzes with a little sparkling so oh, sparkling water. Nice. So that's kind of been my my favorite. Why little didn't pasta. you bring some today? Well, you'll have to come over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I know you have long, busy days while you're still struggling with this illness. What would be your tips for self-care for other people who are not feeling their best and yet are working big jobs? To know you're not alone Mm -hmm. and it's okay that your body isn't enough. Mm -hmm. I had mentioned earlier that I, I I had a dog, Jack, that was a rescue. I was at the park with him when I was going through MRSA and I had a wound vac on my back. And I saw a woman experiencing homelessness walk up to the park, and I looked away thinking, please don't come near me. I have no emotional energy left to give Uh to this person. And she sat down, and she's like, I'm sorry. I probably smell. I have a colostomy bag. And I looked at her, and I pulled down my sweatpants, and I was like, I have a wound back. We're the exact same. And I think that that there's such a humanity Mm -hmm. that is really exciting. Cool. Um, do you think giving money to panhandlers is a good thing to do or not? I don't think giving money to panhandlers is good. Mm-hmm. I think that there are times that it's laid on your heart and there's a gut instinct that you're like, I need to help this person. And perhaps that person is asking for money. I understand that. I give. I would be lying if I said I don't give. Mm-hmm. However, I also, through the years, have seen that it doesn't create real change. And I'm tired of 20 years of giving my life to denting issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to make real change. And so now I know if I give an individual $5, that might be enough for a Whopper and some fries and a, maybe a soda. If I give an agency $5, they can go and help. If you find the right agency, like the one I serve, mm-hmm. what we do is we go out and we engage the individual and help mm. get them services and actually not just a meal, but a meal and socks and mm-hmm. showers mm-hmm. and health. That's what I want. And so I really have changed my investing strategy instead of just doing as much one-on-one investing of investing as a community as a whole. Yeah. And that's why I love you know being able to work for where I work. We are changing our name to Community Forward SF. And I think that's so exciting because that's exactly what we want to do is move the forward to where we have people investing into us as a community, Mm -hmm. not just throwing a dollar. Right. Um, What can San Franciscans who are frustrated by what they see on the sidewalks every day do as a concrete way to help besides giving money to your (laughs) organization? Um, Is there something else that you would recommend a simple thing that um, residents can do to feel like they're at least helping a little bit? Volunteer. Mm -hmm. I think that one big way is to get out and really understand the issue. Every day in my Uber or when I talk to people or my Lyft, I hear falsehoods about people experiencing homelessness. Mm -hmm. They say, oh, 80% of people are drug addicts or, oh, 20% don't want to be housed. I'm thinking, where do they get these numbers? Mm -hmm. So People are very sure of these numbers as well. (laughs) They are. I I heard it somewhere. (laughs) It's shocking. It's really surprising. I'm like, it's interesting, too, that being an expert, people don't ask me. They just give me their numbers, and I always think, like... they're the experts. Yeah, and they are. They're living it. So Mm -hmm. I understand understand that feeling. Yeah. Uh, Even if you don't have time to volunteer read about it. Mm-hmm. You write amazing pieces on this. It's interesting. The Chronicle is actually back 
when Brant Ward and Kevin yeah. did those pieces, was it 20 years ago, that really got my heart excited mm-hmm. to end homelessness in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I think the more you read about it and think about it in a different way, you'll see that there are solutions. If you don't want to give money, don't, because I understand that there's a compassion fatigue. For 20 years, I have stood in front of people and said, we can end homelessness. We can do this. And it doesn't look like anything has changed. Mm -hmm. So if we see that money isn't working, then let's change our approach. Maybe that's volunteering. Maybe that's advocacy. And maybe that's also looking at this as what we have is that people are experiencing homelessness. Mm -hmm. But it's so much bigger than that. It's become a health crisis. And we've got to stop saying that we can't, you know, shelter our way mm-hmm. out of housing as a way to not build more shelter mm-hmm. and just let people sleep outside. Yeah. And lastly, what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Coffee. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I, lots of coffee. <laughs> uh, and maybe if I can, a little bit of a dance moment with my husband. At 6.45 to 7, we try to have dance party every night. Wow. And so What's your favorite dance song? Right now, I'm really digging Robin, and I sing myself, I think I'm the dance hall queen. <laughs> and so, you know, I have some moves. <laughs> you know, I'm going to break a hip Too one bad day. this is audio. Also. I know, right? Yes, as I turn beat red. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, thanks so much for coming today. It's good to have you back. You too. Thank you. Thank you to Kara Zordell for joining us today, to Libby Coleman for producing this episode, and to you for listening. San Francisco City Insider is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief, and Dominic Fracasa is this podcast's producer. If you like this show, please subscribe and give us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. Support San Francisco City Insider and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.